0: Eric is overseeing ministries nationally for the Assemblies of God, and we just really, really treasure the opportunity to host him. He's been here the last three years, so this is his fourth visit to Kenai. And so, Eric, would you come?
1: All right, come on. Let's be honest. Some of you are scared already because you know the routine. I'm going to show up, and I'm going to ask you to give money. Right? I mean, really. God's doing a phenomenal thing through Next Gen Missions, through the Assemblies of God, BGMC and Speed the Light. Uh, specifically, let me, just, let me just tell you where we are at currently in our nation, what we're seeing across the board uh, through Alaska and the lower 48. God is just moving in a phenomenal way in the hearts of our students. Uh, in 2020, uh, BGMC Boys and Girls Missionary Challenge, the total number given that year was 7.2 mil. Uh, Speed the Light in 2020 was just over 10 mils and then god moved on behalf of a generation and what i described as the greatest thing that we've seen in the assemblies of god in the past couple decades happened last year because bgmc increased from 7.2 to just over 10.3 million dollars and speed light went from just over 10 17.2 to 17.2 million. So pretty phenomenal in one year we saw an increase of over 10 million dollars through Next Gen Missions and the Assemblies of God. Amen. So, you know, what's amazing is is I'm still the National Speedlight Director. I'm not the National BGMC Director, but I'm over all things BGMC and Speedlight. It's a unique unique place to be in. And just to kind of give you some vision of where we're looking to go with BGMC, Boys and Girls Missionary Challenge. So as your children are hearing about generosity in the kids' church room this morning, BGMC is aggressively looking to pursue. I had a meeting this past January with our Assistant Superintendent of the Assemblies of God, Rick DeBose, and I said this, I said, if Roe weight is overturned, this will be the church's finest hour. Okay, like we can't say that we're going to make an impact and not make an impact. So next year, we are looking to fund at least $2 million worth of BGMC funds to impact the foster care system across the United States within our Assembly of God churches. So we're looking to rise up and impact the lives of our children. And then through Speedlight, we just continue to do phenomenal things. We saw yesterday in the offering at Ignite Conference. It was the highest offering ever at Ignite without any matching funds. Students and leaders gave over $32,000 in that offering. So there's amazing momentum happening right now. And what's neat is a lot of that's happening because of our partnership with, with WorldServe International. WorldServe International brings clean water to sub-Saharan Africa, but also right now we're partnering with the Navajo Nation here in the United States to bring water to the Navajo people because 40% of the Navajo Nation don't have clean water in their homes. And even this past summer as I was traveling across Alaska and hearing the need in Alaska for clean water, we started having a conversation with WorldServe but it's better, better than me giving you the details. I brought with me this morning a great friend of mine, uh, David Bongiorno. He and his dad run the organization WorldServe International. So is going to come up here in just a moment.
2: For over two decades, attacking the world water crisis through established long term collaborations and powerful partnerships to bring clean water where it can be sustainably accessed and maintained over time. We're now working in places like Sub-Saharan Africa and Navajo Nation, both among the world's most water-stressed regions. Working with local leaders, we vet our locations and carefully plan how we can accommodate not just our heavy-duty drilling equipment, but deep boreholes, solar power, and easy-to-use taps that will provide water for generations. Our wells are drilled and maintained by the people of the community creating jobs for both men and women. Clean water changes everything. Reliable access to it makes possible education for children, economic potential for women, healthcare for families, and sanitation for all. At WorldServe International, we truly believe that clean water and sanitation for the African and Navajo communities we serve can and must be achieved. We hope you will join us in giving Africa and Navajo Nation our best.
3: Awesome, good morning. Uh, My name is David Bongiorno, as Eric introduced me. um, I'm happy to be here, my first time in Alaska. So thank you for uh, letting me come here. I've been promised that I'll see a moose at some point. So I've been looking around and uh, my neck was actually hurting from the drive up here from Anchorage all day, just sort of looking out the window there, but uh, hasn't happened yet. So hopefully it will here soon. But uh, I just want to share real quick, so, as you saw, we, we saw water as a way um, or a vehicle to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, to Africa, and that's where we started. And uh, as you saw, even moving here to the Navajo Nation, we're currently working in a- eight different African countries, impacting people's lives. And sort of what I wanted to talk about and share a little uh, this morning was in 2019, Alaska, the district here, through Speed of the Light, said yes to water and to a partnership with what we're doing. And the neat thing is, when we're able to bring water to communities, it opens up the door where then you can talk about the living water of Jesus Christ with people. And so not only are you impacting physical needs, but now you're meeting spiritual needs as well. And in 2019, when Alaska started working with us, we were able to buy a drilling rig for the country of Kenya. Kenya has somewhere around 53, 54 million people. The average age in Kenya is 19 years of age. It's a very, very young uh, country. And it's sort of a statistic that goes across all of Africa. The amazing thing is they say by 2050 that uh, the population in Africa will will be one of the highest in uh, the whole world in terms of the continent. it's a very young continent. So as we're impacting people over right now in Africa, it has opportunity to transform that whole continent because of the young age and really grow up a a generation of people that love the Lord because we are able to meet physical needs. So we put a drilling rig in Kenya in 2020, and the neat thing was since then we've been able to drill 80 water wells for 80 different communities in partnership with the Kenya Assemblies of God so we're strategic about where we go, how we're impacting people, and that 80 communities that we've had the impact uh, on has uh, reached somewhere around four to 500,000 people because Alaska said yes to uh, speed of the light and to the partnership with WorldServe International. The other neat thing is that we talk about partnership, and your pastor and Eric was already talking about funds, but every dollar raised today, we're able to match that dollar for dollar because how WorldServe works... We go out. Our, like our board of directors are all business people. Uh, we have an MBA player on our board of directors, and we've always worked in, uh worked some ways outside of the church community. And we raise funds to match what you guys are doing within the church. And the neat thing is, when we're raising funds, it's not necessarily people that even have a relationship with the Lord. But they're giving to meeting that physical need into a good cause, but the neat thing is we're able to turn that around, and we're able to put that strategically on the ground at churches so that, again, like I said, people can come to know Christ as their Lord and Savior. So it's been an amazing thing just to see how nations have been raised up, and we're continuing to do that through your guys' partnership, and even by the end of this year, we'll probably be at 100 uh, in Kenya alone. So because you guys said yes, and, and Eric and I were talking about this a little, uh, you know, we're asking to say yes again again. again, because Eric mentioned that uh, even in Alaska, there was some vision poured out that there's still communities and people here that don't have access to clean water. In February this next year, we'll be going to Israel. Uh, Israel is sort of a a cutting edge for technologies when it comes to water and water purification. And even you saw in some of the video as well uh, how we're putting drip irrigation systems off of the water wells that we're doing so that communities can grow food. It's sort of that concept of uh, uh, teaching someone to fish versus giving a fish. We're teaching these communities to grow their own food for increase of nutrition and help with those things. But it's the same thing. In Israel, we're working with this company that can purify salt water. And they basically put it on like a KMM or or a vehicle like that. And it's a water purification system that can go around community to community and purify up to, I think it's like 37,000 gallons in one day. 37,000 gallons in one day, which is pretty incredible. And the technology is just, like I said, cutting edge. And we're really excited to see, and we're putting one of those units in Kenya right now and potentially bringing one here to Alaska as well. And again, that's what we're saying. Say yes, you said it before, and we're asking to say it again because we believe that we can have an impact here. And your guys state as well so that people can come to know Christ as we impact physical needs. So it's a really exciting opportunity And in that partnership, there's an African saying, and I love this, if you want to go fast you go alone, but if you want to go far, you go together. And so the partnership and where we're going to match the funds today is actually through the NBA and one of WorldServe's partnerships. There's a basketball player called Malcolm Brogdon, and he plays for the Boston Celtics. And a couple years ago, we brought Malcolm over to Africa. He saw the projects that Speed the Light had partnered with WorldServe and what we were doing. We told him stories about students here in Alaska, students all across the nation as well, and what they're doing and their heart for missions and how they were just truly believing in in this uh this just this, this this aspect and this this thought that they can really change the world for Christ. And it motivated him that this year he's giving over four hundred thousand dollars to World Serve to be matched by Speed the Light so that people can come to know Christ as their Lord and Savior. So I thank you guys so much and just appreciate being here. And Eric, uh, put it back to you.
1: So at the end of the service, you'll have an opportunity to give to a water well project. We have twenty-five thousand dollars in matching funds available to this church, which means that if you give twenty-five and they give 25 you put one well it's pretty amazing and you know it's neat because so many people are like 50 grand for a water well man i got to see the strategy of world serve international back in march when i went over to africa and it's not just a water well with some solar power they got have an entire team that does maintenance throughout the year on these things and so many times we go in there and we just put something up and then no one is there to make sure that it's still running five years from now that's what i love about world serve international they have the game in place for long term sustainability for these things so uh, as you give just note that trip in in march it was unique because i was on this trip with uh miles garrett of the cleveland browns and I know back there we got the Bengals sitting in the sound booth, and so it's probably hard for him to hear me say Miles Garrett of the Cleveland Browns. I'm from Pittsburgh, so I'm a diehard Pittsburgh Steelers fan, uh, so it's hard for me to say Miles Garrett of the Cleveland Browns. But I got to tell you, like it's, as the Cleveland Browns are playing today, I'm cheering for Miles Garrett because every time he sacks a quarterback in the NFL, he's giving money to Speedlight to match what we're doing to bring clean water to Africa and beyond. So... So listen, I, I love, I love my, Pittsburgh, uh, my Pittsburgh team, but I love more of the gospel of Jesus going to the ends of the earth. Amen? So you have an opportunity to be a part of this. And what I love about this generation of students right now that are currently existing on this earth, known as Generation Z, is they've taken on clean water. It's kind of like their badge of honor, and they're running, believing that they can bring water and bring, you saw on that graphic, death to the water crisis. That's what they believe they can do. And it's just not death to the water crisis in Africa, but it's death to the water crisis here in the United States as well. Isn't it time that we truly make an impact not only overseas, but even here in our backyard? And, and God is doing something pretty unique through this generation. And it all started back in 2018 when he spoke a prophetic word over Generation Z. Now, Generation Z are those living on this earth right now between the ages of 10 and 26, In August 1st, 2018, God spoke a prophetic word. If you've heard me speak before, you've heard this prophetic word before. I keep sharing it and I'll share it until the day I die because I believe God has spoken this over this generation. A prophetic word is when God gives someone who's filled with his Holy Spirit a glimpse into your future or your present to encourage you. It should call you into your destiny. Your destiny is where God sees you in a year, in 10 years or more and gives you a sense of what and where that is. It may also give you practical steps on how to get there. A prophetic word gives you hope that one day you'll be out of the place that you're currently in and walking into the promise of that word. So August 1st, 2018, God spoke this over Generation Z. Be prepared, change is coming. I am a God of unconventional ways and you are a generation of unconventional anointing. I say it again, I'm coming back. Old ways no longer work. That's why I've called you. Church, listen up. An unconventional generation is going to change the world. I say this because there's no precedent to an anointing of this capacity. Chains will break in my name, and my name will spread like wildfire. My anointing will pour out like never before in church. I'm telling you, change is coming, for I'm coming soon. Youth, do not fight the plan that I have for your life, because an unconventional generation can only be reached with an unconventional anointing and outpouring of my spirit, and this is why I've called you. I shared in the first service, I've only shared this message three times this year because I'm afraid to share this message that God's given me for the church today. And honestly, the only reason I'm sharing it with Kenai this morning is because I've been here enough to where you either love me or hate me, okay? So... You've already heard me speak. Some of you, maybe you're brand new. Like, I I am who I am. I'm not going to change that. I don't deserve to be doing what God's called me to do. There's nothing on this side of heaven that qualifies me for this position. But I understand clearly that God has spoken a word over a generation of students, and he's equipped me to lead it. I think back to February of 1997 to where I was in a church service in New Jersey, and God used a woman to speak a prophetic word over my life, and that word was, you will be an example to your generation and generations to come. Okay, I think back to that moment, and I was a hot mess. Okay, living in sin, I was faking it till I could make it. Like I remember that moment, and yet God looked at me and said, "You will be an example to your generation and generations to come." So sometimes, when we see moments of opportunity, we have to take advantage of them for many, I travel from one church after another, after another, after another. Next week, I'll be in Colorado. The week after that, I'll be in Florida. The week after that, I'll be in Texas. The week after that, I'll be in Georgia. And the week after that, I'll be in Chicago. And I've, I've spoken almost every single Sunday morning in a different church across our nation this year. And yet I see the same thing every time I read this prophetic word. I see apathy. Apathy is The definition of it is a lack of interest, enthusiasm, or concern. Is it possible that we have lowered our standards and no longer lead in such a way that God is still desiring for the impossible to happen through us and our children? It's time that we raise the bar of the standards of our faith and of our sacrifice or our expectations for ourselves and our belief in the goodness and generosity that God desires to do great things through us again. It doesn't matter if you're a millennial or an Xer or a boomer, God's still calling you to lead this unconventional generation. Why? Because when you dive into the statistics of this generation, it's disturbing. Stats like this, more than one-third of Gen Z say they have no religious affiliation. 18% identify as atheist or agnostic. Only 40% say that they attend a weekly church service. Only 21% say that they have ever read scripture. Do you sense the urgency and the timing of that prophetic word? Because when that word was spoken, August 1st, 2018, God spoke it. And then all of a sudden, just a year and a half later, something called COVID-19 happened. And what happened with COVID-19? God pushed all of our young people into our homes with us. It was kind of like he was saying this, hey, they're yours, what are you going to do with it? I remember in that season walking around my neighborhood because I was home just like everyone else. I was grounded. I wasn't flying anywhere. I was walking around my neighborhood and I would see moms and dads out in their yards playing with their kids. And I thought to myself, how nice this is. I wonder how long it's going to last. At the end of 2021, Survey after survey gives statistics on Gen Z that are truly disturbing. 74% of Gen Z spend their free time on the internet, up to eight hours a day online. 73% of Gen Z uses their devices for communication, texting, or chatting. 95% of Gen Zers have a smart device or access to one. Gen Z makes 60% of the TikToks created. Some of you are like, what's a TikTok? I didn't know. I just turned 45. Everyone's like, you need a TikTok. I'm like, so what mice are involved with that, right? So some of you have no idea what that means. Just shows you my age. Listen, 41% say Instagram is their preferred brand. 85% use the social media to learn about new products. 42% use social media to influence the way they think about themselves. 71% watch more than three hours of online videos daily. follow 10 or more influencers online. Do you sense the urgency of this moment? The urgent is rarely the most important, but the most important must always be the most urgent. Our kids must be the most urgent thing in our lives, and this is personal to me. been here every year. You get to see a new picture every year I come. This is my family picture. These are my kids, man. Gen Z is represented in my home. I believe God is speaking me to lead a generation of students, and it starts in my own house first. And God placed this portion of Scripture on my heart a year ago, and I had no idea what to do with it. It took me months, months to put a message together around this portion of Scripture that I want to share with you this morning. 2 Kings chapter 13, verses 14 through 19, we read of this account. The prophet Elisha was sick with a fatal disease, and as he lay dying, King Joash of Israel went to visit him. My father, my father, he exclaimed as he wept, you have been the mighty defender of Israel. "'Get a bow and some arrows,' Elisha ordered him. "'Joash got them, and Elasha told him to get ready to shoot. "'The king did so, and Elasha placed his hands on the king's hands. "'Then, following the prophet's instructions, "'the king opened the window that faced towards Syria. "'Shoot the arrow!' Elisha ordered. "'As soon as the king shot the arrow, the prophet exclaimed, "'You are the Lord's arrow, with which he will win victory over Syria. "'You will fight the Syrians in Aphek until you defeat them.' Then Elasha told the king to take the other arrows and strike the ground with them. The king struck the ground three times and then stopped. This made Elisha angry, and he said to the king, You should have struck five or six times, and then you would have won complete victory over the Syrians, but now you will defeat them only three times. Let me give you some history of this scripture. Joash was now the twelfth king of Israel. And like those before him, the Bible describes him as someone who sinned against God. So I wonder what would cause Joash to go to the prophet Elisha. Did he know him? We would assume so. The scriptures tell us that he wept over him as he was dying. So apparently there was some kind of relational connect there. So what was it that Joash was looking for? What was he needing from Elisha? I think of that moment. And I think back to this past summer, I was driving through Napa Valley in California, and I get a phone call from a number I did not recognize. I typically don't answer it, but in that moment, I hit the button on the radio, and I said, hello, this is Eric. And I hear, hey, P.E., it's Sean. Pastor Eric, hey, P.E., it's Sean. All of a sudden, I knew who it was. It was Sean Dar, a young man that was in my youth ministry back in 2004, 18 years ago. I'm like, hey, buddy, what's up? He's like, well, you know, Pastor Eric, I know we haven't talked for a lot of years, but I I just need someone to talk to. I'm like, okay, Sean, shoot, what's going on? He's like, well, you know, I'm married, been married for seven years. I have a 10-year-old son. He goes, but man, my life is just a wreck. I said, hold on, Sean. So you're calling me because you need somebody to tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. That's why you're calling me, right, Sean? He goes, yeah, Pastor Eric, I, I, I just need to hear it. And he and I talked for 15 minutes, and I talked about prioritizing his relationship with Jesus and having his son see Jesus in his own life and what that means. And we get off the phone, and and I believe to this day, Sean is still attending church on Sunday morning. Okay, But he called me because he needed to talk to somebody who would tell him what he needed to hear, not what he wanted to hear. I believe that's what's happening in this account. Joash goes to Elisha because he knew Elisha would tell him what he needed to hear. He knew that Elisha would tell him the thing that would impact not only him right now, but the generation after him, and the generation after him, and the generation after him. Why? Because when we look at this scripture, we can pull out three things. Number one, it's about his power and not ours. It's about his power and not ours. I've heard it said that Singapore is one of the most beautiful cities in the world. The climate of this delightful city ranges from about 75 to 85 degrees year-round. Architecturally speaking, one cannot ask for more. Singapore is a very modern city. It is said that people of this city are friendly and very accommodating. If you were to visit the city of Singapore and take a tour of the city, as you near the downtown area, you would notice a large illuminated sign that says restricted area. It's here that the business district of the city is located inside this restricted zone. This is a place where important decisions are made and millions of dollars change hands every few minutes. Zoning for a restricted area was granted by the city's civil engineers to avoid congested traffic in this extremely vital area of Singapore. A daily pass is required to have access to this restricted zone, however, Anyone is permitted to enter if they are willing to pay the price for the pass. Okay, It becomes a question of how badly they want to enter that restricted zone. So my question to you this morning is, how bad do you want it? Spiritually speaking, there's a restricted zone as well. But regardless of skin color, nationality, or status in society, all are candidates for entering into the kingdom of God. Any doctrine that would suggest otherwise is not biblically sound. The opportunity to become a son or daughter of God is available to all of us. The requisite does not involve money or earning a theological degree from an acclaimed seminary. Submitting blood samples, enduring physical examinations, and visiting a consulate to acquire a visa are not necessary. The only stipulation to get into this kingdom, the kingdom of God, is that we must be born again. Now, here's the kicker. What I see is there's a lot of individuals who enter the kingdom by be- being born again, and they never ask themselves the following question How closely do we want to get to the king? How closely do we want to get to the king? Will we be content to live as subjects in the vast domain, never having viewed the inside of the throne room? Or will we seek every single opportunity to establish an intimate relationship with the Lord? The kingdom of the Lord is different than any other. People whose past are marked with infractions, regardless of how horrible they may be, are not prohibited from touching him, but are given total and complete access to him. In the kingdom of God, failure is not final, but failure can be used as a stepping stone to get to God. Look at the life of David. Okay, David committed adultery with Bathsheba. When they learned she was pregnant with his child, he conspired to have her husband killed. But David did not hire a team of attorneys to represent him before the courts of the land. Instead, David, okay, David owned his mistake. And by owning his mistake and dealing with the consequences and repenting and suffering from those consequences of the sin that he committed, God still gave him a status that many of us desire to have. David was known as a man after God's own heart. He said, create in me a clean heart, renew a right spirit within me. There was something inside of David saying, hey, I got to get this thing right. God loves me. His grace is bigger than me. I have to get this right. So he calls out, cast me not away from your presence, but renew a right spirit within me. So how can this adulterer who committed murder not be restricted from the kingdom of God? See, that's the unparalleled beauty of true remorse and true repentance, that when we mess up, we can get up if we refuse to give up. Okay. Our past cannot stop us. Excuses will not exonerate us. Nor can Satan keep us from finding our place in the kingdom. The ball lies in our court. It's up to us. Will we pursue our place in the kingdom or be pacified with our place in the present? question I want to ask of you this morning is how bad do you want God in your life? How bad do you want to find your place in his kingdom? God did not give up on David because David would not let go of God. You see, if we're going to lead this generation... This unconventional generation, moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas, we can't let go of God. They have to see God in us. Everything, every act, every step that we take, our students, our children need to see God. We need to be like David and cry out to him in every area of our life. David reached for the Lord with great desire in his heart. It was how bad do you want it? How bad do you desire to be in his presence? Because unlike Buddha and Muhammad and other sovereigns, only Jesus is accessible to all who desire to be in his company. Hear me, the restrictions to enter the kingdom have nothing to do with pastors or priests, denominations or tithes paid. There's no appointments required or time restrictions imposed. And frequently this king, King Jesus, through the person of the Holy Spirit, approaches us desiring our companionship. Let me ask you again, how bad do you desire to be in God's presence? How bad do you want his presence in your life? Today, we're looking at a generation of students that desire heroes in their life, and the heroes that they're going after are not the heroes that they need. Our world does not run short of heroes. We talked about Malcolm Brogdon. Kids look up to Malcolm. We talk about Miles Garrett. Kids look up to Miles Garrett. We have heroes who have given their life so we can have the freedom that we enjoy here in the United States, but they're not even the heroes that we need. The heroes need today are those who can find the presence of the Lord. The heroes need today... Are those who do know his name, the name of Jesus, and desire to do great exploits in his name. The heroes need today are those who know how to get the attention of God in their time of need. The heroes need today are those who will work for the Lord. The hero's need today are those who are not afraid of fasting and prayer. Is there an Esther this morning in this room who will lay her life on the line for Generation Z petition the king and spare this generation from annihilation Is there an Abraham this morning who will stand between God and Generation Z and plead for their salvation? Is there a Joshua in this room who will stand against the crowd and say, As for me and my house and my children and their children, we will serve the Lord. Is there a Moses this morning who will say, I choose the Lord Jesus Christ and living for him and I'll lead this generation toward him more than the pleasures of the world. We have to understand that if we're truly going to step into this thing, it's not about our power. It's not about what we can do. It's about what he can do. It's his power and not ours. The second thing we notice from the scripture, it's done through his anointing and not our ability. Notice Elisha's hands on the king's hands. This symbolizes God's miraculous assistance that's made available to us, the anointing of God coming on mankind. Joash can try to shoot arrows all day long, Okay, without the anointing, he's not going to hit anything. You and I, we can try to lead Generation Z. We can lead our children and their children, but without the anointing of God, we're not going to be able to lead them. Do you think that David was such a great shot with a slingshot and a stone that he was able to take down a giant? No, it was because of the anointing of God that was on his life that laser guided that stone to Goliath's forehead. We need to understand that the anointing provides understanding. How many of you would say, I need to understand Generation Z better? My daughter. Okay, like I try looking hip. I just try. I'm 45. I can't look hip. I can fake it till I make it. So I buy a pair of J's. If you don't know what that is, that's Jordans. Okay. Remember back in the day, okay, Gen Xers in the room when we were teenagers and Jordans were cheap, right? It's not that way anymore. You know, it's hip all of a sudden. I'm like, I used to wear those when I was 12. 33 years ago, so now I get Jordans, and my daughter says to me, Dad, your drip is on fire. I'm like, what? Your drip, your drip's on fire. So like, is my nose running? What's that mean? The anointing provides understanding. Missionary Ludwig Nomanson spent two years living among the Batak people of Indonesia. He taught them Jesus' teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. The chief said, we too have laws which teach us not to steal, not to take our neighbor's wife and not to lie. Nomanson said, but my God gives the power to keep these laws. The chief was startled. Can you teach my people that? So for the next six months, Nomanson taught them about the Holy Spirit and the power of God. At the end of that time, the chief declared, your way is better than ours. Ours tell us what we ought to do, but your God says, come, I will walk with you and give you the inner strength to do that good thing. What sets us apart? Okay, being filled with God's Spirit makes all the difference. Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. We need that power if we're going to lead this generation of students. Amen? The anointing provides understanding, and it also shows us opportunities. Elisha took the king to the open window facing the east. Then he helped the king shoot the arrow of victory out that window. The open window represents windows of opportunity. What's an opportunity? Opportunity. An opportunity is a set of circumstances that makes it possible to do something. God gave us an opportunity, August 1st, 2018, when he spoke a prophetic word over Generation Z. God arranged the opportunity and set up the season of access in order for this opportunity to have the possibility of even happening. God could have chosen any generation, church. He could have chosen the boomers. He could have chosen the Xers. He could have chosen the millennials. But he didn't. He chose Generation Z. Generation Z is the open window toward the opportunity. What's the open window represent? In this case, it was victory. Elasha could have chosen any window, but he didn't. He chose the one to victory. Our job is to lead them through the power of his anointing. But parents and grandparents, hear me. We cannot lead the following generation to a place that we're not at ourselves. This generation must see the living God in our lives again. We must once again believe, listen to me, moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas, we must believe again that he healed multitudes without medicine, that he restored broken hearts without psychiatry, that he never wrote a book but inspired more books than any other. He never wrote a song but inspired more songs than all the songwriters combined. He never founded a college but has more students than all of the colleges of the world. He never marshaled an army but he has more soldiers willing to die for him. Then all the Napoleons, Caesars, and Alexanders combined. Herod could not kill him. Satan could not seduce him. His enemies could not destroy him. The grave could not hold him. Hell could not contain him. All creation can't stop him. And listen to me. It was true yesterday. It's true today. And it will still be true 10 years from now. He's the ever-living, highest ring, Son of God, proclaimed by God, acknowledged by angels, adored by saints, and feared by demons. His name's Jesus. And it's not through our ability or our creativity that we can lead this generation to know who God is. It's through his anointing. It's about his power and not ours. It's about his anointing and not our ability. And finally, it's about his victory and not our legacy. That's a hard one. Because even me, I'm like... I want to leave a legacy. What's a legacy? A future without you still being influenced by you. I I said those words. I probably said them here in this church. Leave a legacy. Leave a legacy. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit's like, smack. No, it's not about your legacy. It's about the victory. I understand that for some of us, it's hard to hear this word this morning. You hear the word legacy, and you immediately think of all the things that you've done wrong, all the times that you've failed, all the broken promises that you've made to yourself and to God. Might I remind you that Joash was labeled as a man who sinned against God. He didn't have his life in order, but he knew a man who did. That's why he went to Elasha. Okay, he had a chance, a chance to erase that history and leave a legacy that would be the one that would reflect God's power and God's anointing and God's victory. But he chose not to keep striking. It was there the entire time. As I was reading this scripture, Elisha told him, hey, Strike. Keep striking. Strike the arrows. Elisha didn't say, hey, just strike and stop when you feel like it. No, he said strike. Okay? And as I look at this generation of students that God has called this unconventional generation with an unconventional anointing, God is looking for you and I to lead them, to lead them in such a way to where we'll strike for our children and their children and their children But the relationship, his relationship, Joash and his faith, directly influenced the generations that followed. The moment that he stopped, the blessing stopped with it. You see, God's controversy with us is not that we ask too much or expect too much, but that we do not ask enough and we do not expect enough. Let's turn the tables a little bit. What about about us? What would it look like if we knew that the very next prayer that we prayed would bring the thing in your life that you've been waiting on? You've been praying for years. You've been praying for a loved one. You've been praying for a heal. What if you knew that the next prayer, prayer that you prayed would be the one that would be answered? How would you pray? You know, if God looked at you and said, hey, listen, you got the arrows in your hand. Strike. Keep striking. Keep striking. Hey, as long as you keep striking, I'm going to answer those prayers. And then all of a sudden we just get complacent and stop. When I think of this generation, here's what's unique about that prophetic word. Do you know that the prophetic word that was spoken over Generation Z doesn't end the moment that they leave our churches as young adults or adults? Or they move away. It goes with them for the rest of their lives. They'll always be Generation Z. Come on. Boomers, you know what I'm, you're always going to be a boomer. I'm always going to be an Xer. I'm going to be 85. I'm going to be an Xer still. Millennials, you're always going to be a, God set apart this generation because he's wanting the unconventional to happen through them. And I'm seeing it. And then I'm questioning it all at the same time. My daughter, Emma, turned 16 August 29th. Couldn't wait to get her driver's license. I'm on the road in West Texas. We had the Life 360 app on our daughter. The biggest blessing and the biggest curse ever is the Life 360 app. You can track your kids wherever they're going. Emma says, it's creepy, Dad, that you're watching me. So I'm watching her driving down the highway. See the speed limit on that highway, 60 miles per hour. My daughter, Emma... Average speed that night, 84 miles per hour. Top speed was 91. Okay, so I send her a text knowing that she's not allowed to look at her cell phone while she's driving. Send her a text and said, don't you think you should slow down? I go into my living room which faces my front door and I'm sitting there and I'm stewing. My blood pressure's up. Jesus was not with me at this moment. And I'm waiting on my Emma to come into the house and she walks in and I said, Emma! How long have you had your license for? She goes, a week and a half. I said, 84 miles per hour. Tell me again, how long have you had your license for? She goes, a week and a half, Dad. She goes, but I was just keeping up with the traffic in front of me. And I think to myself, God, God, you want me to lead this one? This one right here. You know, the gray hair is coming out of the beard. This one. I had it easy with the first two, but this one. Yes, Eric, because she is my unconventional generation. With an unconventional anointing and outpouring of my spirit, there's no precedent to an anointing of this capacity. Chains will break in her name as she calls upon my name. And the gospel will go to the ends of the earth. Like, I believe that. I see what God is doing through the generosity of these students. And I got to tell you, I watched young people yesterday morning giving an offering. They're walking up, and they're handing over their ATM cards, and they're swiping it. Okay, I did a camp this past summer in North Dakota with my wife. Pastor, at North Dakota camp in their cafe, they have an ATM machine. I'm watching children, guys, walk in with plastic to take money out of the ATM to give to the BGMC offering. Children! I'm like, who in their right mind would give their kid plastic? But this is my unconventional generation with an unconventional anointing and outpouring of my spirit. Are we to the point to where God is asking us to recognize that it's not about our power, but it's about his power. That it's not about our ability. It's about his anointing. That it's not about our legacy, but his victory. And I truly just truly believe that God has called this generation of young person to lead in such a way to where the gospel of Jesus will continue to go to the ends of the earth. But I want to ask you, what do you believe? How would you pray if you knew that that next prayer was the last prayer because God was going to answer it? How many times would you keep striking? Would you stand to your feet? Worship team, you can come. Pastor Steve, thank you so much, you and Joe Lynn for always opening up your door to me. I tell people all the time when I talk about Alaska, I'm like, have you met Pastor Steve Brown? Like if I were go, it, listen, I mean this. This just isn't words. And Ryan will tell you that I speak this highly of you guys. Like I'd work, I'd serve under you two in a heartbeat because of your heart. You guys have amazing pastors here. Really do. But what if, yeah, what if, what if their heart to reach the community outside these doors were reflected in your heart and your action? What if? What what if today uh, a people left this building and you're like hey, I'm holding those arrows I'm gonna keep striking for my community I'm gonna keep striking for my children I'm gonna keep stri- listen it's 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 we're we're all hot steaming messes at times right and it's easy for me to stand up here and preach please if you've never heard me before just know that it's easy it's sometimes easy to say oh yeah it's, it's easy for you to say I showed you that picture of my family but the one not not represented in that picture is Taylor young lady we took guardianship of. Back in 2010, she's got two beautiful baby girls and my heart's broken because I'm watching Taylor live a life that's so far away from God. She doesn't speak to us anymore. I don't get to see those babies. It was like they were with us one night and the next day they were gone. So I'm striking my arrows for Taylor. We're all there. But maybe maybe in this room, maybe some of you, before you start striking for someone else, you need to strike for yourself. Maybe you've been coming to this building and you know that Jesus, man, he wants your life. He wants your entire life. There's a difference between you being saved and declaring him the Lord of your life. For Jesus to be the Lord of your life, the Apostle Paul says that if you believe in your heart and declare Jesus the Lord of your life, you'll be saved. Declare him the Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Someone in this room this morning probably needs to make that declaration. You need to get you right before you start striking for somebody else. And you may not think you're worth it. Man, I got to tell you, I'm not, guys. Like I, I, it's, it's such a privilege for me to get to travel and speak the gospel. I don't take it lightly because I remember where I came from. I'm a first-generation everything, first-generation Christian, first-generation pastor. I'm the only one in my family that attends an Assembly of God church. I'm it. I'm the beginning of a new generation that's going to follow behind me. You either break the chain or you add to the links. And for some of you in here this morning, the Holy Spirit speaking to you in, He's saying, yeah, it's time you break that chain off. So let me ask this question. If you're here and you recognize that your life is not right, that you, you haven't given your life to Jesus, you haven't made that personal commitment to have that relationship with him, to where you've declared him the Lord of your life, to where you're living for him, and every decision you make would be decisions that are based on the gospel, the true endless word of God. And if you'd say this morning, man, Eric, I need that relationship. I want to give him my life. I want to serve him the rest of my days. I want to ask you right now, would you just throw your hand up and say, that's me? Is there anyone? I want, to, I want to serve Jesus. I want to declare him my Lord for the very first time. Lift your hand up. So here's what this means. The next step is the most important. Would you begin? I want you to think of one name. Maybe it's the child that's next to you or that you're holding. I want you to begin to pray for a young person between the ages of 10 and 26. Get that name in your head. Maybe it's your own kid. Maybe it's someone else's kid. Maybe it's a grandkid. But I want you to start calling their name out loud and believing that this is the first prayer of many prayers that God is going to use you to speak life over a young person knowing that he has called them the next generation to lead, that it's not about our power but his. It's not about our ability but his anointing. And it's not about our legacy but his victory. Come on, start praying right now, even where you're sitting. Start praying for a young person. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I pray for Taylor right now.
0: Oh, my soul, sing to the God of the ages. Sing to the Lord of creation. Sing his praise again. And oh, my soul, sing like the heavens are waiting. Roar like the army of angels. Sing his praise again. Oh, the weight of his glory.
2: Oh, the wonder of his
0: grace. The power of salvation that pulled me from the grave. This hope is not empty. And forever he will reign and he won't be put to shame. And oh, my soul. Sing to the God of the ages, sing to the Lord of creation, sing his praise again. And oh my soul, sing like the heavens are waiting, roar like the army of angels, sing his praise again. From the moment of rescue. I have never been the same when His love took me captive. And all of my sins were washed away. Now I stand here forgiven. And I know that I am saved and I won't be put to shame. And oh my soul. Praise again, Oh my soul Sing like the heavens are waiting Roar like the army of angels Sing His praise again Remember how our God Never failed, never failed us Remember that His name Will make a way He'll make a way. Father, we give you glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.